Hello and welcome to Mothering Earth. Our mission is to bring you stories on issues relating to taking care of our Earth and of living a lifestyle that helps sustain the Earth for our children and grandchildren, hence the name of the program, Mothering Earth. My name is Salwa Khan, and I'll be your host. I hope you'll find the program interesting and informative. Perhaps you'll hear something that motivates you to change a habit here and there, or to take up another cause related to environmental or social issues, or maybe you'll hear something that you can put to practical use right away. For our very first program, we're pleased to have as our main guest, Tim Thompson of King Feed and Hardware in Wimberley, Texas. Tim is a horticulturalist. That's a hard word to say. But he is a wonderful resource on all things that have to do with gardening, and especially with using gardening practices that are kind to the soil and to the environment in general. We're going to talk today about native plants, but what are native plants? These are plants that are indigenous to an area. Certain plants live and thrive in particular parts of the country because they are well adapted to the local soil to the amount of sunlight and rain that they receive, and even to the insects that are present. These native plants can include anything from trees, grasses, bushes, flowering plants of all kinds, and yes, even vegetable and fruiting plants. Native plants are said to grow in a cooperative environment because there are other species or in some cases, many environments that have developed simply because all the living things within it get along really well. For example, you could have a plant that thrives because a certain creature pollinates that plant. The creature thrives because it relies on the pollen as food. So it's a win-win deal all around. Some native plants rely heavily on local climate conditions. For example, occasional wildfires, or a sudden heavy rain that allows the plants to release or set their seeds. Now, one of the best things about native plants is that they are so well adapted to the local soil. So they will grow well, unlike imported plants that can have a difficult time getting established, or in some cases that don't grow at all because the soil is so completely foreign and without the substances that that plant needs. So now let's hear what our guest, Tim Thompson, has to say about native plants. I spoke to him a short while ago, and here is our conversation. Today we're here with Tim Thompson. He's a horticulturist and garden center manager at Kingfeed Garden and Hardware, and has been there for 25 years. Uh, he's somebody I've known for, I think, more than 20 years, and someone I've asked for advice uh, on gardening many, many times. <laughs> and have gotten great advice. And so we're here today to talk about native plants. Uh, but I'd like to start with a little sort of introduction to you. Uh, and if you can tell us about some of the things that you do uh, at King Feed and, and the other things that you, have, that you have going on with gardening. Sure. I, uh, Chris Nichols, the owner of the store, hired me 25 years ago. Uh, when we met on the sidelines at the soccer fields where our boys played on a team together. And uh, he told me he had always wanted to have a nursery at the store, but didn't have the 
people to do it, the people who had the knowledge. And when he found out that I had years of experience in that, he hired me. Uh, Part-time at first because I was still staying home with my kiddos who were four and six at the time. And uh, so we began to build a garden center at Kingfeed, first in the parking lot in front of the store when Wembley was a much smaller and quieter place. And uh, that really wasn't in the way. And then as Wembley grew and our business grew with it, we moved it where to the side of the store where it is today and fenced the property to keep the deer away, which was becoming a bigger and bigger problem. So what I do mostly at this store is talk about plants, buy plants, and sell plants. Uh, I still love my job after 25 years. It's a great life. I, uh, I get to talk about one of the things that I love most in the world uh, all day and uh, deal with them and help people with their problems. It's really a pretty terrific job. Tell me a little about your, uh, your sort of philosophy of the environment, because I know that's a very strong part of your makeup. Well, it is. Uh, I think gardens, whether we intend them to be or not, are always imitations of Mother Nature. And the most successful gardens are certainly the best imitations of Mother Nature. Um, to the extent that we can work hand in hand with the processes that are already in place, um, the natural processes that are already in place, our gardens are more successful. And to the extent that we're trying to suppress them or overpower them or control them, I think we have more and more problems. Right. right. Um, so our, our topic today is native plants, uh, specifically well, we're going to talk some about native plants in Texas, but also just in a general sense about the value of using native plants in a landscape no matter where you live. Can you talk about that? Well, <clears throat> it's certainly true that um, using native plants wherever you live is going to give you the lowest maintenance, uh, easiest to maintain garden. Now. I'm a, you know, we have a wonderful vegetable garden that my wife maintains now that she's retired. And, and uh, almost none of those plants are native. But outside of that vegetable garden, um, most of our landscape is native. Uh, and that's, that's purposeful and by design. I think using native plants is the m most direct way to stay in tune to keep your landscape in tune with the land around you, uh, for it to look natural and be natural and to have the fewest number of problems from disease and predation. Uh, and, you know, people, I think, often consider native plants to be a, uh, to be a shorthand term for cactus and yucca, you know, that right. you can just rip out all your yard and put in mm -hmm. uh, in uh, desert plants and surround them with gravel, and then you won't have to worry about watering. And of course, in the Texas Hill Country, 
which is at the convergence of several natural areas, has an incredible array of native plants, beautiful, lush, colorful plants that grow wild with very, very little encouragement here. So finding the ways and places that you can use native plants with just a little encouragement uh, is kind of what it takes to have a really successful landscape in, in Wimberley. Okay. Let's, let's talk specifically about some of the things, uh, because I know that having native plants, uh, you've talked some a little about uh, watering and that kind of thing, um, that some of the advantages of having a native landscape is that you use less water, uh, which can be both uh, in terms of resources, the savings, but also in terms of money, because if you're you know, paying for water or you're paying for fertilizers and other things that you're adding or having to amend soil so that you can sort of have your exotic plants from somewhere else, mm. um, those are all costs to you in terms of time and money. Can you talk about some of that? Yes. Uh, I mean, one of the reasons that native plants make so much sense is that uh, you, you're able to observe them in the wild, of course, around here, uh, see where they grow. If you have places like that on your property, you might try to grow them. Now, there are certainly place, lots of places around Wimberley uh, where palm trees grow, wild. The Texas really? sable palm, the palmettos grow wild, but those only grow in places where there's underground water. So if you don't have a property where there is some underground water, it's, it doesn't make much sense to try and get palm trees to grow. They're beautiful right. and uh, and distinctive, but they don't work everywhere. And the same is true of almost any plant. Texas mountain laurels grow w across a wide range of, um, of soils and uh, places, shade and sun, uh, hilltop and valley, riverside and rocky areas. Mm -hmm. But not all plants are like that. Not all native plants are like that. Some of them really preferred a distinctive place. Texas madrones, kind of a rare native plant, grow in a few places. And where they grow, you'll usually find lots of them. But they don't just grow everywhere. Um, and some, a lot of that is just going to be experimentation. And right. uh, One of the things I finally... One of the realizations I finally came to when people at, used to ask me, what do you think makes a person with a green thumb? I think after a lot of consideration and uh, thinking about it and writing about it, I have come to realize that the one thing that people who are said to have a green thumb all have in common is that they're amazingly comfortable with failure. They... Um, Try, aren't, aren't afraid to try new things with plants. They'll try a native plant over here, or you know, maybe they're going to try planting a rock rose in that sunny spot and some more over there in that shady spot and just see if it works. So I think a lot of successful gardeners probably go through a lot of experimentation, and right. including a lot of failure, as well as the successes that they have before they find out exactly what works best in their place. And with native plants, that's particularly true. 
if you live in an environment where there's good, rich soil and plentiful rain, frankly, it's easier to garden. You can don't have to give quite that much consideration to what you're planting. But in the Texas Hill Country, uh, using well-adapted plants is really important, and certainly natives are the most well-adapted plants. So I think what you're saying is it's important, uh, well, in addition to being comfortable with failure, is it's important to observe nature and to see what what's growing in certain areas and then uh, kind of study, you know, what kind of soil is it growing in, how much water does it normally get. And from that, you can learn a lot in terms of selecting plants then for your own garden. Absolutely. Um, now, when people ask me, what what's the best ground cover to have? I'm tired of having a lawn and trying to struggle with that. Uh, trying to keep a pretty lawn takes so much care. I'm dealing with grub worms and armadillos and feeding and uh, uh, and and all the mowing and everything that goes along with it. What what are the other options? And I always say, look, let's just walk out in a wild area anywhere around Wimberley and look at the environment that's like yours. If you've got a grove of oak trees, look under a wild grove of oak trees. Under every oak mott, there's going to be some horse herb, probably quite a lot of horse herb, mm -hmm. growing in a mat underneath those trees, mm -hmm. sometimes a solid mat of it. There'll be a few cedar sage growing and um, and maybe even some wild Turks caps. Look at nature and, and take the hints. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, now, one of the things that uh, having native plants does is it encourages native wildlife. Um, why, why is that important? Why is that something we might try <clears throat> and encourage? Well, um, one of the best things about the Texas laws being changed to allow people to convert their, tech, their agricultural exemptions into wildlife exemptions was that it really made it economically possible for a lot of people to help the wildlife in the area to do things that specifically encouraged wildlife preservation. And... Uh, so a lot of places that used to be cattle ranches that weren't ever economically viable, but the people who owned them, in order to keep their agricultural exemption, had to keep cattle on them, or some animal. Okay. And now they can instead do things on their property to you know, plant plants that feed wildlife, uh, put up bluebird houses and owl houses and bat houses, to encourage uh, the mm -hmm. native wildlife uh, and provide for their care and comfort and feeding, so you can uh, you can plant the plants, plant the coral berry and the the pigeon berry and uh, American beauty berries that help feed the birds that love those particular kinds of seeds. You can. Um, provide hollowed out spaces for owls to nest, uh, things like that. So um, I think the native plants, and all, every native plant has its place in the ecostructure of the hill country. There's not a plant that grows here that doesn't have some important connection to some part of the wildlife. And 
certainly some of our wildlife is a little bit out of its natural balance right now, but that's probably always the case a little bit. Um, you know, the the, the white-tailed deer mm-hmm. are so plentiful that um, you know, in bad years, in drought years, they have a terrible time finding enough forage. Mm-hmm. Uh, but all of the plants that are native here have uh, have a place in that ecosystem and uh, in the great circle of life. So, so by planting native plants, you're also encouraging the wildlife, which is mm-hmm. something that you can enjoy as an individual, just to go out in the garden and see the birds and see the different animals that of you course. Know, love the plants that you that you're uh, encouraging to live. Um, okay, you talked briefly about lawns, and uh, there are some people who think that lawns are completely unnecessary and a waste of water, and and uh, you know because people use a lot of fertilizer, a lot of water, and then use their electric lawn mowers to cut it, <laughs> making a lot of noise in the neighborhood. Um, so there's all kinds of reasons why lawns can be a pain to some people. Um, well, what are the options if somebody? wanted to rake up their lawn and said, okay, fine, I'll get rid of the lawn. What should I do? Well, uh, I think there are lots of good reasons for that the people want a green, grassy area around their home. Uh, their their grandchildren are like to come over and visit, and they want a place where they can play ball and run around where it's not just dust and dirt, but there's an open area where they can play. And or uh, or maybe they like to play bocce ball or um, uh, croquet, and you know they want a little place where they can do that. Mm-hmm. There are lots of good reasons that you might want a lawn of some size. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that having a having a one acre or ten acre lawn around your house and keeping it watered and fertilized um, through a Texas drought is a pretty tall order for your well, mm-hmm. for the water table, uh, and for your pocketbook. It's terrifically expensive. As uh, people who buy their water from a water company here will tell you, it's getting progressively more expensive. <clears throat> I understand Austin is actually uh, considering tacking on a drought fee onto their water okay. supply. Wow. So. Uh, it's something that we have to deal with always. Mm-hmm. Having your own well, I'm here to tell you, it doesn't make it any different. You still have to be attentive to the well because you pay for that in lump sums rather than every month, so you might not be reminded of it. But when you have to replace the well at the bottom of your, the, the pump at the bottom of your well that's 700 feet underground, I promise you, It'll hit your pocketbook. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can imagine. Uh, so, re- besides all the practical considerations, I think um, conserving a precious natural resource that we would could not live without has to be one of the considerations for right. being a responsible citizen as well as a responsible gardener. So, some of the options are just planting native ground covers, sun and shade lovers. Um, you know, there are lots and lots of native grasses that grow wild. Some of them are tall, some of them are short. Um, probably the one of the 
biggest growth sellers at our store has been the past two or three years has been uh, short native grass mixes. Mm. People really like the idea of having a native grass lawn that they don't, that's not the three and four foot tall muleys and um, and blue grasses, but just short native grasses. So they like to encourage those and they can still have something that is very like a lawn, mm -hmm. but has much, much lower maintenance and water need. Uh, one of the other beautiful things you can do to in place of a lawn is just to make meandering beds of native shrubs and trees and perennials uh, that are well adapted. Uh, once they're established, we'll take little care uh, and pathways in between them. Uh, it's a little hard to play baseball in an area like that, but <laughs> but they're beautiful and right. and functional. Right. Well. Thank you very much for your time today. I've been talking today to Tim Thompson, who's the horticulturist at King Feed here in Wimberley. Uh, I highly recommend you go visit Tim uh, at King Feed. I know you'll find him full of good information for your garden. Thank you. Thanks so much. Well, so we've heard from Tim Thompson about the wonders of native plants, all the reasons why they should be part of your natural garden, your natural environment. Um, they are adapted to the soil. They don't need special nutrients. They don't need a lot of water. They are used to the climate conditions, so if it only rains very occasionally, then that's fine by them. There are so many reasons why native plants are the ones to have in your garden. But you may be wondering, okay, well, that's all well and good, but how about some specific plants? How about some information on specific plants that I can use in my garden? Well, that's what I'd like to talk about next. So I'd like to talk about several plants that I have experience with in my own garden, figuring that that way uh, I'm not just telling you something I read somewhere. This is actually my own experience. Pavonia. Pavonia is a lovely little plant. It's also called rock rose rock rose, um, and I, th I think it's because the flower, which is bright pink uh, and a kind of a deep dark pink, um, looks a little like a uh, single layer rose. Uh, Pavonia is a little woody uh, shrub. The leaves are light green, kind of heart-shaped, uh, very pretty, and as I said, the flower is a deep rose pink flower, which opens in the morning and closes by early afternoon, especially when it's extremely hot. Um, but it has a naturally loose kind of open branching form. Uh, you can prune it as much as you like. You can prune it back practically to the ground and it'll come back. Each plant may not live very long, three to six years. But as I said earlier, native plants tend to self-sow themselves uh, and so they'll drop hundreds of seeds all around themselves. And as soon as you have a rain, you'll suddenly notice a little patch of greenery right under the shrub. Uh, and those are all your little baby plants ready to be dug up and planted elsewhere or to be shared with your friends and neighbors. So Pavonia is an excellent choice, and I know you can find it at garden centers and nurseries, including, of course, at King Feed. It blooms through the spring, summer, and fall.
It's a great one. The next plant I'm going to talk about is called Autumn Sage or Salvia Greggi. And I'm sure you've seen this one uh, all around. It's planted very often because it is so dependable. And again, it drops a lot of little babies that you can pick up and plant all around your garden. It's a small, uh, rather the leaves are small, um, and the flowers are small, but they come in a wide variety of colors, and when they flower, they are prolific, and, and it just, it's a beautiful display. So uh, Salvia greggi, or Autumn Sage, comes in red, uh, comes in yellow, orange, salmon, fuchsia, purple, red violet, burgundy, and even white. I have several white salvia in my garden. They have a very long blooming season and they attract hummingbirds. How cool is that? So uh, autumn, autumn sage or salvia greggi, highly recommend. The next plant I'm going to talk about is Cenizo. Uh, this is considered one of the most outstanding Texas native plants. It's a, kind of a medium-sized shrub with a compact form. Uh, has these beautiful silvery or gray-green leaves and stunning displays of purple blooms from summer until fall. It's sometimes called the barometer bush because uh, it seems to take on a sudden flush of flowering whenever there's humidity in the air or it's been raining and the soil is very moist. Uh, that's when you'll notice that cenizos seem to suddenly just burst into flower and are absolutely prolific. It can grow to be a pretty big plant, up to eight feet tall and eight feet wide. But it's a beautiful uh, plant even when it's not flowering. In addition, like many natives, they're not susceptible to pests or diseases. They don't have to be fertilized. They don't have to be watered once they've been established in your garden. Zexmenia is the next one we'll talk about. Uh, it's called, also called Orange Wedelia, and uh, this is another Texas native. It's an evergreen, what's called a sub-shrub, mainly because it's fairly small, uh, short, and uh, in fact is sometimes used even as a ground cover, although it can go up to three feet, three or four feet tall. It does tend to take over an area, so if you have some areas where you like some nice bright yellow flowers, daisy-like flowers um, that are dependable, they'll come up year after year. Um, they are really nice, nice little plants. Then definitely consider Zexmenia. And the last plant I'm going to talk about today, another native, is called Flame Acanthus. Uh, it's also called Hummingbird Bush uh, because, again, the hummingbirds do love it. And uh, flame acanthus has, again, very tiny green leaves. It's a shrubby, woody kind of stems. It has long, slender red or orange blooms that the hummingbirds really love. It is drought-tolerant, heat-loving, small, uh, works well in your perennial border or in formal areas. Uh, you can have entire areas. Again, this is one that can take over an area if you let it. Again, this this is another one that you can cut back and even shape to some extent. It, it'll take severe cutting with no problem. It's a great choice for sites with poor soils and reflected heat. So there are some specific plants that you can consider for your garden. Native, oh, they're all natives. They are all plants that will do really well in our soil and with our climate.
That was Mothering Earth for this week. I hope you'll come back and listen again when we have our next program. See you then.